and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I am Lemuel. And this week, we're going to talk about Apt Pupil from 1998. Before we get started, I'm going to do a content warning for uh, Nazis, the Holocaust, uh, murder, uh, homophobia, pedophilia, sexual assault, rape, you know, there's going to be, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be a lot, y'all. So uh, we're going to try and be mindful of these topics. But if you don't want to deal with any or all of those things, uh, we'll see you next week. We're going to cry a lot with the Green Mile and we look forward to having you back. But right now, before we, you know what, I'm not even going to ask you about your week. This episode's no. going to be too much. So let's, uh, let's get into it. We're going to do this in two parts. We're going to start with the plot of the movie, the movie that we watched and we're going to talk about the movie that we watched. Then we're going to talk about all of the things around it. So, with that in mind, uh, this film came out in 1998, in October of 1998. Uh, it is directed by Brian Singer. It stars Brad Renfro and Ian McKellen. Uh, if you had to guess which of those two would be dead today, I bet you'd be wrong. So that's part of what we're going to talk about after this. Oh, um, uh, drug overdose. There's another content warning. Sorry. There's a lot in this one. Uh, so the movie uh, is set in 1984, which I don't even think I even knew. <laughs> but it, uh, it is. It is set in 1984. Uh, we start with Todd. It would have to be. That's a period piece, right? Because yeah. If it was set now... The, He'd be too old. Right, yeah. far too old. Yes. Uh, we start with uh, Todd Bowden, played ba by Brad Redfro. He is a 16-year-old high school student. Uh, and for once in our Stephen King stories, uh, well, I guess like in Stand By Me, this is played by a 15-year-old person. So mm. this is actually a child actor in this role of a child. Uh, this character... We find out later, and it is germane to the whole story, he's 16, he's been uh, advanced, and he is a senior in high school at the age of 16. And that's an important thing that they sort of gloss over very briefly uh, in the middle of the film, but I think it is important to his character. After their one-week uh, unit on the Holocaust, Todd gets very, 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 very interested in the subject and in his research he discovers that an elderly neighbor who's going by the name Arthur Denker is in actuality uh Kurt Dusander he was a Sturmbannfuhrer in the SS now a fugitive war criminal hiding from justice uh in the world of the film as i presume in the world of actuality if you were found to be a former SS officer outside of Europe, you would be sent to Israel to stand trial. I don't know if that is still That's true. That's how I remember it at the time. Okay. When there were active Nazi hunters. I, this is, it's been such a long time since I've heard this kind of story that right. I don't know that's any, the case right. longer. So he is in hiding under an assumed name. And Todd goes to his house one night and is basically like, I know who you are. And... I'm either going to call Israel up on the phone right now, that's basically what he says, uh, or you're going to tell me everything that happened. Like, I want to know literal gory details. Like, he wants to know about the ovens. He wants to know about the deaths and the murders. Um, and 
he he tells his family that he's going to be going to his elderly neighbors to read to him because his eyes aren't mm-hmm. what they used to be. Which and is sickeningly altruistic considering really what he's is. actually doing. So so Todd is... It, it's a really interesting dynamic because he is blackmailing this old man mm-hmm. and you kind of want to feel bad for the old man. But wait, that old man was definitely actually a Nazi. Uh... At one point, Todd purchases an SS uniform from a costume shop, forces uh, Ian McKellen's character to wear it. Mm -hmm. There's a power shift that sort of happens in this scene um, where Todd, like, yells at him to march and turn and march and turn. And then at, at some point it shifts where... Ian McKellen's character just is doing it on instinct and it scares Todd a little bit. Right. Like it's it's a really interesting It's an interesting scene because scene. you see the shift in the dynamic between the two and mm-hmm. the, the power eventually shifts all to one person rather than the mm-hmm. other. But it also is depicting how Todd's intentions were fulfilling some sort of masochistic curiosity or I don't know Ooh, sadi- what's sadistic, sadistic I would think actually yes um, and uh, yeah you're right sadistic yeah. curiosity and it's gotten out of hand now this is yes. something real happening in the real world well, it was easy for this to be the stories of his old neighbor right now in the uniform and with the marching this is something different yeah what he what he seems to sort of grasp and not grasp maybe because he's a child right Right. is i have the power in this relationship because i'm gonna i'm gonna narc on this dude Uh this guy killed hundreds or thousands of people yeah he's not not dangerous like well, the, it <laughs> also approaches it with that kind of teenage uh, invincibility—the yes. notion that nothing can happen to right. me—which is what leads to, and also maybe, well, I'm not a Jew, right? Yeah, not understanding how it's a personal danger to him, right? And so, also not understanding how there's any danger to be had at all. Mm-hmm. The problem is that, despite the fact that this looks like a frail old man, we later learn he's perfectly capable of killing mm-hmm. somebody. Yes, pet so, abuse. We forgot as, to mention that too. Yes, as time goes on, his Obsession sort of becomes all-consuming, and his grades slip pretty significantly. Uh, at one point, he's basically he's a, a letter is sent home, basically saying, "If you don't fix your grades, we're going to hold you back." Which this is sort of where they talk about how he's been advanced uh-huh. and has fallen off a lot, and it's like, well, being held back doesn't seem like the end of the world. You'd still be younger than your current classmates, like. You're not, it's not going to put you at a disadvantage of getting out into the world, but he can't take this home. And in fact, um, Kurt slash Arthur, Ian McKellen's character, uh, appears at his school and says that he is his grandfather, his Todd's grandfather. And there's trouble at home. Uh, Dad's having trouble finding work and mom's drinking. And so he's not able to get schoolwork done. So he's offering his own home, a place where Todd can go every day to study and, and we'll pull our grades up. And, and uh, the Mr. French, the uh, guidance counselor, played really well by David it's Schwimmer, right. uh, says, okay, that's fine. And if you get all A's, we can basically make those your grades for this. Like if you pull it back up, we can make those your grades. We can basically erase these midterm disasters that right. are in front of us. Uh, 
Todd freaks out because he's like, I'm never going to be able to do it. I can't do it. Uh, and Arthur's like, well, you don't have a choice. So study. And I'm not going to tell you any more stories. Study. At this point, also, he indicates to Todd that he has opened a safe deposit box and written a 12-page, like a... Confession. Confession. A yeah. Of, this is who I am. This boy came over. He knew who I was. He demanded that for my silence, I tell him these things. Like, he basically said, he, he does a reverse narc in case Todd gets any ideas in his head and maybe wants to yeah. do away with him, do, do, do him some harm. Which, of course, Todd also is like, you're an old man and could die at any time, so you need to not have done that. And he's like, it's done. Uh, which is not great for anybody right uh and there's a couple of evenings we see uh arthur dressing up in the uniform outside of todd's behest so he does have this pull to this history uh, and at one point a a homeless man rooting through his garbage sees him in that uniform uh and that he doesn't love that uh he starts drinking more and talking about his past sort of brings up these latent it affects both desires of them. Todd is having <laughs> Todd's having nightmares right uh, and also these weird sort of stand waking visions yes. about people around him as holocaust survivors or are victims of gas chambers yes. there is a scene and we'll talk about the making of the scene later it's an effective scene in the film in the context of the film yes um where he is, it's after gym, or after, he's a, he's on all the teams. He's I think on, it's after basketball practice, baseball, but he also he's plays He's doing basketball, baseball. right. Uh, that's the thing. So he's, he's kind a, of a prodigy mm -hmm, all around. Yes. Uh, and, and then, of course, doing this, this volunteer work for their elderly neighbor on right. top of it. Woof. Pillar of the community. Pillar to killer. Uh, <laughs> it's a thing on and That's why we drink. He is in the shower after one of these practices, practices. Yeah. and he the the bodies of his students you know the the classmates around him turn into these old they look like concentration camp um inmates yes is that the word uh and it really works well in the, and then when he comes back to himself there's nobody around so we don't know how long he's sort of been out of it which none of his friends wanted to be like yo yeah what the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, and, yeah, we see that he has, like, these nightmares and night sweats and he's not sleeping. And meanwhile, Denker is drinking and um, at one point he catches a cat and tries to burn it in an oven. The cat does not appreciate it and gets away. So that's good, I guess. <laughs> Uh, and then later he sees on the bus, which is the same bus that he was ID'd on. I think uh -huh. it's the same bus that uh, that Todd saw him and saw that he resembled this person in these records that he was looking at. Uh, he is sort of followed off of the bus by, and I said, is that Maloney? And you said, no, nope, it's Elias Codius. Uh, the same a homeless man that he had been rooting through his trash previously, who basically 
he's trying to prostitute himself. He's trying to solicit Arthur for a drink, maybe a shower in exchange. Some money. And some, yeah, and some money. Yes, for some cash. In exchange for sexual favors. Uh, he does say, I'm, you know, I can be good like that boy. Now, there's never anything sexual between Denker and Todd. On a physical level, there's on a, physical a weird level. exchange of something going on. The way that they are filmed, though, there's a lot of two shots, which you're not used to seeing with two of the same gendered right. people. Like, they are shot in a way where there may be some homoeroticism um, and some power exchange right. stuff that usually would be in an intimate relationship. And so he, Arthur lets the guy come into his house, gives him drinks. He's drinking as well. Uh, and then he attempts to kill this homeless man. Uh, he stabs him, uh, but is unable to complete the job because in the midst of killing this man, he is having a heart attack. And so he pushes him down the basement steps. He's not dead. This man is not dead at this point. He pushes him down the basement steps and closes the door, and then he calls Todd. And he says, I am having a heart attack. You need to come over here. Because if I die, someone's going to find this bank deposit thing, or, you know, this safe deposit box, and you will be in trouble. And so Todd goes over there, and at very little encouragement by Denker, I have to say, finishes killing the homeless man and then gets Arthur to the hospital and then goes back while Arthur's in the hospital and cleans everything up. Finishes right. killing fi- him. He hides all the evidence. And then hides the evidence, wipes down, because there was blood on the phone that I think his dad actually sees, uh-huh. uh, but never, that doesn't bring up later, uh, and covers this murder. So now they are co-conspirators in a murder. And Denker is at the hospital for a bit of time, and Todd visits him a couple of times. And on his way out one night, the his Arthur Denker's roommate right. uh, says, "Oh, he's lucky to have you, and uh, your grandfather's lucky to have you." And he says, "It's not my grandfather; he's just a neighbor." And they exchange pleasantries, and then this man looks over and sees. Arthur Denker, but he does not see Arthur Denker. He sees Kurt Dusander because this man is a Holocaust survivor and was a victim of Ian McKellen's character. And there's a very powerful performance by that actor. He's only in this one scene, really, but the fear that he is able to embody there is, uh, is jarring, really. Especially with the rest of the film, because you've only seen really unpleasant people. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, and, and peripheral and, characters, but really the, unpleasant the people. The people who were victimized right. by the Nazis are not really given any time. Uh-huh. Because that's... Well, Todd is interested in that, the idea of that. He's not into the specifics, I don't think, not into, as thinking of them as Nothing humans. at any personal level. Right. No. He's asking about carnage on a huge scale, and some of the stories to prepare audiences who might see the film are really horrific. There's mm-hmm. one particular story about the gases being um, yes. leaking, and then they're not working properly, and this story is horrible. Yes, yeah. Yeah, Be there prepared. are some very mm-hmm. graphic 
explanations of things that happened. Um, and this man is able to get out of the room, get to a nurse, and says who this man is, at which point uh, he is arrested. Uh, he will be extradited to Israel. Uh, at the same time that's happening, Todd is graduating. So right. he's a 16-year-old valedictorian, and he's giving a valedictorian speech basically as the cops are finding the dead body in Ian McKellen's character's, uh, I want to call him Denker, Dan Denker's basement. Uh, and he is briefly, briefly questioned by the police then with the police is um, Olivia Pope's dad. <laughs> I like that actor. Uh, and he says he never knew any of this. He just read the things. He said he was called over that night to read a letter. That's what he told his parents when he was summoned when uh, Arthur Denker was having a heart attack. He said he's got an important letter he needs me to read to him. So he says, I read him a letter. I don't know what it said, because it was in German, and I don't speak German, he seemed to understand it, and then he had the heart attack. So he was reading it, my understanding is he's reading the letter phonetically. Right, I would okay. guess, which is... I, I, I... Once you know some of the rules and what that S looks like, German is pretty easy to read phonetically. You won't understand what you're saying, obviously. Well, right. Some of it is very close to English, but um, you could read it phonetically. Uh, but he says, I didn't, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know anything. Uh, and then we go back to see there are protesters outside of the hospital, both, I presume, Jewish protesters and protesters of you and know, Nazis. actual moral yeah. character, and then counter-protesters of Nazis. This is Ian McKellen's, like, he's hearing this and he's like, well, I'm fucked. So he traces his line down and pulls out the uh, IV line and blows into it, giving himself an air ambulance, which kills him. And this is quite a way to go. Yeah. I was like, is he going to? Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> but it's effective because there's really nothing that can be done. Uh, and then at the same time, David Schwimmer makes a second appearance because he has met this man as Todd's grandfather. So he comes to Todd's house while his parents are out and says, you know, where are your parents? And right. Todd's like, they're not here. He's like, all right, well, I'll talk to them later. Um, and we know that he's like, you all lied to me. Like, you lied to me. And he, and Todd comes out, follows him up to the street and basically says, you came to my house when my parents weren't home. You made my bad grades disappear. Right. Mm. Am I the only? I'm flattered if I'm the only one, but this probably has happened before. Basically, he's saying, "I will make it look, and I will say that you basically asked me for sexual favors in exchange for whatever. So I will make the last year basically look like you were acting extremely inappropriately, right. uh, 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 and." How is that going to look for you? That's going to follow you anywhere you go because that's a, he he remembers these conversations with uh, Denker where he's like, "There's nothing like if you are thought to be a Nazi sympathizer, that's going to follow you everywhere you go." 
it's it would follow me like if people found yes. out well, who I am, it's gonna follow you. And he basically just turns that around and puts that on the if people think guidance you're a counselor. Harassed, it's going to follow you. Yeah, that's it. Here. What you're think of your job. You you're never gonna have this job anywhere you, if I make this accusation. Life anywhere yep. either. Yep. Nope. You'll get scrutinized mm-hmm. and you'll get ostracized and you'll never work. And yeah. So he basically is like, shut up or I'm basically gonna ruin your life. Mm-hmm. And I can. So that's the end. So in the end of this movie, um, the Nazi is dead. Long live the Nazi, I guess. Like, I don't, like, Todd is. He's, well, it's hard to say. I don't know if Todd goes on to live a normal life after murdering a human being and covering Mm -hmm. the evidence and going through all that. His hands are clear or clean, except for what a teacher French knows. Right. Right, and he'll the never only, open his right. mouth because the 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 accusation will come swift and um, relentlessly. We know that Todd is a psychopath. Yes, and so effectively, it's almost as if one evil is dead in the world, like you said, and another evil has replaced it. Yeah, an apt pupil. Yes. In other words, he took his lessons very well mm-hmm. and learned how to manipulate and how to get circumstances in his direction. Mm-hmm. And um, he's privileged, right? right. Like he he's a, a family smart, well-off. And which is part of possibly what he's so frightened of in his grades dropping off, the fact that he's seen as an overachiever and a prodigy. And so right, he can't not his family that. will have an issue with that mm-hmm. if he doesn't still present that way. Now, let's talk quickly about the differences between the film okay. and the novella. The novella is also called Apt Pupil. It's mm-hmm. in different seasons. In the story, it starts in 1974 when Todd Bowden is in junior high and it ends with him graduating high school. So it's a longer mm-hmm. period. This whole thing takes place in basically a school year, uh, nine months maybe. The book takes place over a significantly longer period. In the novella, for three years leading to the end of the story, Todd and the uh, war criminal Dusander independently murder a large number of hobos and transients. Okay, so this is a... Right, all right. Yes. The filmmaker, we'll get into all of that after, uh, wanted to reduce the novella's violence, not wanting it to appear uh, exploitative or repetitive. Uh If you're killing a bunch of hobos, I suppose we don't need to see you kill a bunch of hobos. We get it, right? Um, Unlike in the novella... Oh, there's a lot of explicit anti-Semitism in the book. Okay. Uh, the girl that he starts dating in this is called Becky. In the book, she's Betty, mm-hmm. and she is Jewish, and the words that are used to describe her are heinous. There's a dream sequence where Todd rapes her, uh, or rapes a Jewish virgin as a laboratory experiment under uh, Dusander's guidance. He dreams his girlfriend is a concentration camp inmate who he can rape and torture, uh, so they they don't they take that stuff out mm-hmm. when he's con- when uh-huh. he's confronted by Edward French the school counselor he just kills him in the in the book oh all right and he then embarks on a shooting spree spray over on a fr- from a tree over a freeway and he dies by cop so he dies in the book they both die in the book uh and let me quote uh, Brian Singer here. I told King the ending reads so beautifully I could never measure up to it. I would have killed it. And then a lot of people think that what happens here is actually m- darker because 
there's an end to his violence in the yeah. book, whereas it's just beginning in the movie, right? We, he's never going to be not a person who's going to be a sadist. Mm -hmm. And whether he can harness that healthily, who knows? Yeah. Doesn't seem like it. He's already killed one person. So so those are the, the differences from the book. It, it veers pretty... Um, it veers quite a bit, but I think for a movie, I don't think you'd want a longer time period. And I think this movie is quite good. The no, actors that's something in it, that we should discuss briefly yeah, before yeah, we go into yeah before we get into the hurling the crap meteor yeah. that is what happened behind the scenes. Yeah, how did you feel about the movie itself? I think Brad Renfro is an incredibly gifted actor. Right. I think it is. So upsetting what happened to him. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll get into maybe one of the reasons why it happened to him. Um, but he didn't live past 25. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he didn't even make it to 27 like so many people seem to. I have seen The Client, his first film, mm -hmm. several times. He was, I think, 10. And he's amazing in it. Yeah. Uh, so he, his performance is so, so good. And I really, really liked him in it. And... Ian McKellen's great and everything. I mean, how do you... <laughs> well, the, the, the cast is amazing. Uh, I don't know. I'm curious because the film was attempted... There was an attempted production several times before. Yes. And it involved people like James Mason, who would have been wonderful. Uh, and Richard Burton, who would have been wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Ian McKellen, I always take very seriously as an actor. There is a, a film of him on YouTube currently showing how he breathes through the process of some of the speeches and how he, you mm -hmm. change the inflection of the lines mm -hmm. in Shakespeare and you bring out these meanings and how he explores giving a Shakespearean uh, monologue. That's amazing. You're watching this person mm -hmm. who is devoted to his craft like a religion. So he's always exceptional. But Joe Morton and Bruce yeah. Davison, who never gets enough credit as a... As Bruce, Bruce Davison's Davison. great in this, yeah. Yes, and... Elias Corias and Joe Morton, and uh, there, yeah. there's just a lot Joe of... Joe Morton, even, that's Papa Pump. <laughs> even Joshua Jackson, who... Joshua Jackson was really great good. in this, and I thought it was hilarious that his name was Joey. Right. I was like, no, it's There's painting. just a lot of good performances. The film is staged really very well. Yeah, I didn't even mention Josh. Joshua Jackson plays mm. Todd's best friend, and yeah. he's great, because that's, at points he's like... Dude, you're being a real fucking dick, and yeah. I don't understand why. Right. And he, it, it felt real to me. It like, comes across as very natural. He's a really natural performer. He really is, yeah. You know, he's not Even manic. now, yes. And there's there's something Ian McKellen's kind of Shakespearean staginess actually works really well in his favor, because he's playing a different generation of person. And you realize that the part that he's playing is a performance. Right. He's trying, and the, occasionally you get to lift it and see this sort of Wait, monster. He's playing an actor. Right. Right. And and, and he... Uh, and so he has to really do two parts. And the exchange right. you're, you're watching it is similar to, and this is a very high compliment, similar to Silence of the Lambs. Mm. And then you're watching a person that is, you know, in that case, Hannibal Lecter's in a cage. Right. And he's chained. And at the same time, you're still very aware that he's dangerous. And you feel for Jodie Foster's character because Clarice is nowhere near on the same level as this yeah, guy. You're, yeah, you're punching way above your... Yeah. Right. And Brad Renfro at the same time. Only the difference is that... And she might be... 
Uh, Eventually, but she's also like in the story at least twenty four right. or something. Yeah. But I mean, with with this, film, <laughs> we don't need to go. I was like, I'm about to just give a diatribe yeah. on Sansa. <laughs> but in this film, what you have is a kid who's just, on the one hand, brilliant. Yes. On the other hand, too damn stupid to know how much trouble he's in. Yes. And so it's it's. And also, here's yeah. what else is dangerous about his character: that white privilege. Yeah. Because he's going to do too much, and he's going to get, get away with a lot of it for well, too long. No one looks twice at him except for David Trimmer's character. Mm-hmm. He's the only person to go, wait a second, no, they overstepped when they did this sort of masquerade yeah. and uh, put Mr. Dusander or Denker in the position of being grandpa. Right, which means you know more. Like, there's no way right. you don't know about what was happening. Life. Right. But um, but on that level, it's actually a very good film. Yeah. And that's what makes what happens around it very, really unfortunate because it colors what you see. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're going to talk about Brian Singer now. So if you don't want to, see you next week. Uh, go in Godspeed. So Brian Singer, apparently a lot of Hollywood thought that once Weinstein broke, Brian Singer was going to be next. Uh-huh. Because Brian Singer has for two decades now, almost a decade and a half, been known around Hollywood as a bad actor. He has several credible rape allegations from young boys, both forcible sex and um, coercion sex, yeah. by, via drugs, alcohol, and power. Uh, so there the there's a smorgasbord of sexual assaults. There's all different kinds, and he seems to be guilty of several of them. Brad Renfro was 15 when he was making this movie, uh, and from, there's an article that we are, but we both read from the Atlantic called "Nobody Is Going to Believe You" from March of 2019. And the, the there's a lawsuit, possible lawsuit happening from one of the extras on this film, uh, who the shower scene that we discussed when we discussed the movie. It is an effective scene in the film, but apparently, the making of it was deeply problematic to say the very least. They actually filmed in a middle school, Elliott Middle School of Altadena in northern, uh, northeast uh, Los Angeles. And there is an accuser who was 13 at the time who says that one day while he was um, using the restroom, he was urinating, uh, Brian Singer came in and saw him and told him, oh, you should be in this movie. You're so beautiful, you should be in this movie. And and then he comes in as an extra. He thinks on on the day of the shower scene, uh, he's told to strip down to nothing. He's just going to be in a towel, which wow, is wild. Right. So the people on this, a, a number of extras were told to basically be in nothing. They were they had on their call sheets partial nudity what they probably all assumed and is exactly what they should have assumed is that they would be in speedos right. with towels wrapped around their waists so they're not in a lot 
but they're in no way nude. Right. The same that you'd be wearing on a, any given beach on or a, beach, a swim right. team or yeah. something. Yeah, you know, and so it looks like you're not wearing anything, but you're absolutely covered. Because yeah. once again, these extras are children. Brad Renfro is 15 years old. Yes. Uh, but they, and they thought, and the, the adults, they're, they're going to be traded out, their bodies are traded out in the image for adult concentration camp uh, yes. victims. So they were going to be nude. And so then they were confused, like, did your, did you get your directions mixed up? And are you, are you lumping the kids in with the adults when you shouldn't be? But it was never cleared up. And several people on the set were underage and nude, which is completely unacceptable. It's not, it wasn't great in Carrie and it's fucking not better now. Like, uh, and this kid who, um, Victor is his name, uh, was actually separated to the back of the room, not where they were filming or where anybody else was, and was set back there, nude, in a towel. He's got a towel around him, but he's otherwise unclothed and separate from his clothes. He can't just throw him back on. And at several points during the day, he says Brian Singer came back, asked him how he was doing, asked him if he could bring him anything, and then he uh, grabbed him and uh, massaged his genitals under the towel as what he says. He molests this boy. He he says he's never watched the movie. He he was never invited to other things, but after that, he spent a lot of his life trying to prove that he was a man. He got his girlfriend pregnant at 16. He's been in and out of uh, a, apparently so abusive relationships. He's, yes. Yes. Right. Yeah, and he's not it turns out gay. All right. Uh, it it really doesn't matter. Right. Uh, but certainly forcing somebody into an alternate to their own sexual preference. Right. It, I, I don't know that it's easier or worse than just preferential sexual assault i don't know how to even like how i can't even parse it but like if you're heterosexual a a heterosexual sexual assault if you're homosexual a homosexual sexual assault if it goes the other way i don't know if that's easier or you know who knows but he really felt like he couldn't tell anybody he was deeply ashamed and then yeah he's the toxic masculinity bug bit him real hard. I guess we could say there are domestic battery well, incidences in his life. There's drug feels, incidences yeah, in his life, um, and he uh, and then there are these other, you know several other stories. The this Atlantic article talked to fifty sources um, to back up each I, other. I read the article. As a matter of fact, I was the one who uh, recommended it to you. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Um, the information about Re- Brad Renfo. Yes. So I was going to scroll down. Uh-huh. One of um, one of the people in the story, here it is, uh, Andy is his name in the article. It's not his real name. Uh, would be on and off again with uh, Brian Singer and his production partners um, in a digital production company called DEN. All right. 
uh, the two owners of that, or maybe all three of the owners of that, as well as uh, Brian Singer, who was an investor, heavily investor, would have these parties inviting 13 to 17-year-olds. They said that the, the house was always, like, people, older people would come and be like, this is like a teenage, like, where are these kids' parents? That's what it looked like to other people. So there was this kid, Andy, he was 17 when he first slept with uh, Brian Singer, who uh, he says knew how old he was. I think, I don't know if it was him. Uh, No, another boy named Eric uh, said later that evening, uh, he and Singer got to flirting in the hot tub. Just so you know, I'm 31, Singer said. Just so you know, I'm 17, Eric responded. He He says they had sex that night. Uh, but there was this piece where there was this party where all of these boys are there. And, um, one of the, I think it was Andy gets, uh, invited by Brian upstairs to a bedroom with a water bed in it, I believe. And Brad Redfro is sitting there looking uncomfortable. He doesn't end up staying for the full encounter, but Andy says that the whole time that they were, they were filming that movie, Renfro kept being referred to as Singer's boyfriend. And Andy says he doesn't think that Brad Renfro was gay or even bi, that he was just going along with what he thought he was supposed what to he do. Thought he was supposed to do. And he's 15. And he's 15 years old. And he'd st- he already had started using heroin at that point. And there was an there was an article that I started reading that was like, did Hollywood kill Brad Renfro, or did he, you know, would he have died young even from, you know, if he, even if he stayed in Tennessee, he's from Knoxville, Tennessee, and they say it's like he was born addicted to heroin, and I'm like, no, no, no it's no. like when he was ten and in the client, he was introduced to some maybe filmmakers who were real interested in a ten year old. Or an 11-year-old, so that when he was 12 and he saw heroin and it could take him away from this fucking hellscape that these producers were subjecting him to, that seemed like a fucking great idea. And, like, I have the range of a Corey Feldman, right, who talks about how Corey Haim was passed around and it would have been the same time period, only Renfro was younger. So... For one, how does that affect the way that you see this? Oh, the scenes of Brad Renfro uh, with his shirt, like he's he's filmed in bed and he's just wearing boxers. Uh, and they felt to me like those Victor Salva scenes of right. Justin Long in Jeepers Creepers where I was like, why am I, why is this child body right. being shown to me so sexualized? It was so upsetting and then i read this and i was like oh god <laughs> like that's why like are all gay men pedophiles absolutely not i would never even that's what no. but these men these men are pedophiles i i remember when um the stories about which is why that mm. scene with French at the end where he's like, I'm going to destroy your life with accusations of pederasty. Okay, see, and it's a wild thing to well, watch. But not wild. Also, that's really offensive to me because what it looks like is for all the world, this was the veiled threat that he included in the movie to any of his victims. 
you know, it's going to follow you for the rest of your life. You will never be able to get a job anywhere. Right, but it's also like so, like how backwards do you have to be in your life mm-hmm. and your understanding of the world? You know, you know what I think it is. Yeah. It almost feels to me like like a gaslighting. Yeah. Like if anybody did accuse me of this, it's it's them right. that is a bad actor, not me. Say what you want to say, but just mm. look at the end of this movie. And I just put a character into yeah. doing this, and so they're gonna pr- like it. It yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's hard to put into words because it. I I made the mistake of reading the article before I saw the film, mm. so everything that I saw was colored by that. Yeah. Uh, and there were scenes like the scenes of him having the night sweats rolling around in bed. You're looking at it going, why is he photographed this way? Yeah. And it was... And I said, and I was like, that's a lot of teen torso. And it's, and I I said in the car the other day too, I was like, it's not, and not like in a teen sex comedy, because first of all, those are usually 20 something year olds. Those are college age actors. But that's also what this thing is. is. That's what this movie is. And it doesn't purport to be anything differently. Mm -hmm. This is a movie about the Holocaust. Why? Or like present day Nazism and power struggles and and all of this stuff. About directors who have these bizarre kind of obsessions and that it's disturbing when they make you a part of it. And that's why I'd never watch a Victor Salva film because I made a part of his ogling of underage boys. I felt that way this time watching it. I've seen the movie once or twice before Mm -hmm. and I didn't have a context for any of this. I remember that at the time there was some sort of controversy over the one boy that got mentioned um, uh, in the shower scene. Yeah. Uh, there was a great deal of controversy about that. There was a cur- there was a lawsuit at the time. Yeah. At the time, and I remember that. And I remember that there was controversy about the film, and Brian Singer was took very much the same tact that Kevin Spacey did when he was accused, oh, this is because I'm a gay man. And and um and I don't have a place wow. in Hollywood. And which, you know they had already worked they had worked together. Right. He they Brian Singer made the usual suspects. Right. And The Usual Suspects was a film where, is what got this film made. Yes. He impressed for a Stephen lot of reasons. King Who's, so much. Yeah, sold the option for a for dollar. For a dollar. Because he was so impressed with The Usual Suspects, which also makes that film very difficult to watch. And that yeah, was for a while. I love The Usual Suspects, right. but I don't know that I could go back yes, now knowing. So for a, a, a bunch of us, like in film school at the time, this was like, oh my God, this is... And I can see why it appealed to Stephen King because yeah. it is a one of the more effective modern film noir. Yeah, and it's a caper film, and it has all sorts of things that I love. Yeah. It has the snappy dialogue. It has a lot of kind of um, almost like mammoth esque. Yes, kind it of, feels like mammoth. Right. Yeah. Just a bunch of tough guys really yeah. shoving each Those other around. Those characters that are drawn in right. a look in two words. Right. You're just like, oh, I got it. <laughs> and then this almost supernatural villain. Mm-hmm. It's as if, for somebody who grew up reading Sax Romer and Ian Fleming, yeah. what if James, what if Blofeld or Fu Manchu was an actual guy that everybody yeah. knew? Yeah. And so there was so much going for that film. And again, I haven't been able to see it for years. And I don't know that I'll be able to see yeah, it Yeah, I don't know. Especially, because... yeah, with Singer and Kate and Spacey. Right. So anytime I see a teen boy in that movie, uh-huh. I'm gonna be like, "Are you okay?" Well, well, <laughs> I I I have the same problem. I um I used to love I Spy when I was a kid, uh, the TV show with Robert Culp and Bill Cosby. Oh no! And it was Bill Cosby's first yep. big part, and Robert Culp, who was an actor I've always liked, uh, getting. 
I recommend right. you you get your Robert Cope fix in Greatest American Hero. There we go. That's what I'll do. <laughs> but yeah, it was just or watching the old Outer Limits where Cole oh yeah, was he's amazing. in like every third one. Yeah, but it was such a big deal at the time for him to have this. You know, originally the part was Robert Culp was their cover being spies was. I'm the tennis star, and you're my valet, my black valet. Instead, and it's like let's work with the character. So he became a Rhodes Scholar, and there was a lot of inroads being made. Nice for this black character. Unfortunately, it's still Bill Cosby. It's still Bill Cosby, and it's hard yeah. to. I, I have an episode on DVD. Uh, it was one of the first times you saw actual martial arts. They worked really hard to study to get the the stuff right right before uh, Bruce Lee came on big with the Green Hornet. Yeah, and so there's a lot of stuff to watch. The program for it was shot on locations and yeah. places like Turkey and whatever. Because they just went wherever, uh, I think it was CBS, had a news office. They just sent them there. Oh, that makes sense, actually. Which is really cool. Yeah. So, as a kid, they get to see exotic places. Yeah. And by I now. can't watch it now. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and it, it, I mean, it's every person's uh, decision, ultimately, yes. where to separate the artist art from the from work. The artist. And, and for me, a lot of it rests with how much of the artist is in the art. And, yeah, at the risk of bringing this up again, because just this weekend I saw a film called The Tenant that was directed and even starring Roman Polanski. Yeah, he's the one, right? And yeah. as I'm watching that, I am not, there's no point where we're pulled into any of his obsession with young women, which apparently he passed out of. But, because the only woman that appears in the movies now regularly is his wife. But um, there wasn't any of that. Yeah. There wasn't any of I was not made to feel, whereas I'm watching Quentin, Quentin, Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino. I know Quentin Tarantino has a foot fetish, and it's only because I've watched Quentin I, Tarantino movies. It, it, right. So you have it, Woody Allen. Woody Allen puts Woody Allen in every Woody Allen well, movie. Well, also he puts very, in, just like... And, and, I don't, and specifically the issue that we have with Woody Allen of uh, of inappropriate... Uh, young women. Yes, and I, I want to clarify that too because I have been in relationships with younger women. Yes, I've also been in relationships with older women. Uh, it's not about. It's, it's about the for power me. It's not about here. age. It's weird. Um, he yeah. he started grooming her when she was a child. Yes, he started grooming. And if anybody doesn't believe that, I mean, I I hope that you can live in sunshines and rainbows forever. But he definitely started grooming her. I, yeah. And he makes jokes in all the movies about how it's inappropriate. Right. He knows better. And still he he both does it in his life and he does it in his art. And so I can't. Yeah, I, de- I can't take it when they're joined at the hip that Victor way. Salva putting right. just underage male torsos front and center in. Right. And I, I think I've mentioned that before, watching... Uh, Ebert and Roper, who had no idea about mm-hmm. Selva, reviewing Jeepers Creepers 2 and both saying to each other, what was with all the, the teenage mm-hmm. boys taking their shirts off and what was it like with yep. all the male nudity in this movie? They didn't know. Yeah. And so when, when they're mentioning it to each other, like, God, that was weird. Yeah. And as it part is, of the review. And I hate it because Salva and Brian Singer are both gay. I, I want to be clear that when when uh, Brian De Palma brought yes. people in to see the young women and Carrie naked on set. That was also getting terrible. Too. And it, it's not because they're gay. It's because they're... But it also makes their defense... The defense... You, yeah, it's look, it's what, because, look, what right. about that? What about in those movies? Where right. all those girls are ogled and now you don't... You, what you don't like is the ogling of boys. 
I don't like it's the ogling of children. Wrong. It's right. the children aspect There's of it a, that I have a problem with. When, Especially uh, when you are also being accused of assaulting these kids. Right. There's a film, the little girl who lives down the lane, yeah. Jodie Foster. There's a love scene between her and a boy who's supposed to be her age. There is a rear shot of nudity, and that's carried out by a stunt double. Mm-hmm. It's not impossible. Yeah. I'm not sure that it's necessarily what was needed in that story as much as it was that... I mean, you know, I've, right. I've seen, what, Blue Lagoon? Right. <laughs> there, I yeah, mean... The 70s, I have to say, for everyone who wasn't there, was a very strange time. I mean, there is a... I have a, a Hammer film where Natasha Kinski is nude. She is 17 years old when that film was made, I think. And so that's wrong. She has a scene in this movie where she's not wearing a stitch of clothes for just a few seconds. It still is wrong. It's like, okay, I don't need to see that scene in the film. The rest of it's very good, but that yeah. film... That and I do is... have... I have complex feelings on, you know, using kids uh-huh. in film. There's a... I think it was you, me, and everyone you know. we know, I think, uh-huh. that I had to turn off because they had really young actors saying some things that I... and. Is it funny to hear an 11-year-old swear? Yes. I'm mm-hmm. not. And But I, it gets to a point where I'm like, okay, now it's... What was the film with um, Paul Rudd? Yeah, Role Models. Role and models, I think yes. that Good Boys movie that yeah. just came out that we just didn't... We, that was yeah. like, not for me. It's the same kind of thing. But like when it's really sort of intimate yeah. stuff, I think is just... It's not... Because I don't believe that they're getting the support around what they're saying. Yeah. You know, they're not getting the context. They're not getting a full understanding of what they're saying. And so it's it's just, it could, it could get twisted. Well, it could get, it yeah. just the, certain things that are like real, like, Give me an eight-year-old saying "fuck" any day of the week. That doesn't. That's that doesn't bother me, but like real intimate stuff, it feels like we shouldn't be using kids. Like I'm almost like make like a, like an animated film, where well, you can have adults saying these things okay, so rather than children saying these kids. Things. Well, ki- All right, yeah. So well, Larry Clark yeah. directed that film, and I remember seeing it in the theater. Because a friend of mine wanted to see it, and I was kind of startled. I owned a VHS copy of that film because I thought everyone should. When I saw it I, in I high do. school, I was 14 or 15, and I thought everyone should see day, it. And I've seen it four times, and that is three times too many I times to have seen it. I worked in elementary school at the time, yeah. and there were people who were shocked at the kids, the, the depiction of their sexuality, the depiction of their drug use. I worked in an elementary school, and I yeah. was telling, do, do you know what goes on with sixth graders? No, I know. know yes, that's the thing. So it it felt, was real, but uh, also there was real sex in that movie, and, and that's that not... was really uncomfortable, because as I looked at it afterwards and realized, oh, I'll see another Larry Clark film, and, you know, there's more, you know, skinny teenagers having sex. And the next film... It's like, well, maybe, no, there's more skinny teenagers having sex. And I just realized this is just him and yeah, something he likes Yeah, the actual watching. penetrative sex I, in, a, in, in film, uh, especially between, and they were right. not of age. 
Yes, and that's um, kind of what bothered me. Is, I, I thought it was a statement film at first. It's like, no, people should see this. And then when I saw that this the, is just the, something that he does. The film. He likes seeing it. Out, you didn't right. have to have that in no, there. No, you didn't. And then the, the movie stands, I think, stronger. But right. because they had it in there, yeah, it is like, oh, do we want to really fucking perpetuate this? But the things in there, like, no, kids are doing more than you think that they're doing. Younger than they're doing it. Should it be this case? No. But is it? Yes. So, um, no, I thought that was an important movie, but yeah, no, actual. Just, they don't understand what they're agreeing to. Right. I just, I, you know what I mean? Uh, and yeah. I'm not a person who's like, no one should get to vote until they're 40. Like, that's no, no, no. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not saying in that. In any way, shape, or form a prude, I'm not, I'm saying, my issue is, is it going to affect it to where it just becomes uncomfortable being watching the movie anymore? Right. And, and yeah, and, and uh, this might be the last time I see Apt People. I don't know yeah, if I can I don't bring think myself I to see it again. Watch it again. I, um, I don't know that it's gonna not just every time I see it leave this really I mean it did. And at this time, having seen it and knowing, especially I was cringing when it got to the shower scene. Yeah, where you're like, Oh, this I knew is it. it. Was coming. <laughs> yeah. And I should have followed your advice and not read any information yeah, about it you, afterwards. You pulled it up and you was like, Oh, you were like, Do you want to read this before we watch it mm-hmm. or after? And I was like, I wanna watch I wanna read it after because right. it's gonna And I thought it was relatively safe. Oh, I've seen the movie before. No, it just re it put everything in a different light. Yeah. It was the they live glasses, you know? You yeah. put them on and suddenly you see all the monsters. Yeah. And this time I saw all the monsters and it just became after I watched the movie, I, want, I wanted to go watch my face or something. <laughs> like yeah, I just, yeah, I just, I felt gross watching and then, it. And, and then knowing, you know, Brad Renfro dying of oh, heroin God. overdose which at is 25 a, is like... A, a pity, which is an amazing pity because you think about actors like him and River Phoenix, which mm-hmm. was another one a little bit older, yeah. coming out of Stand he By Me. He made it to 27. Right. And I'm watching this going, God, this guy's really, really good. And what's strange is that my mom liked him. She saw the Mosquito Coast one weekend mm-hmm. when she was uh, with uh, live, uh, spent the weekend with my sister, one of my sisters, and she was just stunned. Like, who is that kid? Why is he so amazing? He just he's alive, and to, uh, to sit on a screen and hold your own with Harrison Ford is a lot. And the same thing happened, I think, you know, which is why. I, you know, you're watching Panic Room and you, you see um, Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart yeah. hold her own. With, uh, I know. I just want yeah. to put Millie Bobby Brown in a box. Yes, and just protect her. Like I, I just everyone stay away. Uh, you know, there's there's some kids. Wolf. This little kid. Uh, who plays I want the Dion cast in raising Dion. Just right. protect him. Protect them. Right, and maybe things are better now. I don't know that they are. But I I don't. I'm hoping that the Brian Me Too Singer movement... is on a set right now. Brian Singer is on a set right now. Yeah. So. No, the answer is things are not better. Uh, yeah. And this is also, just for the benefit of the audience, this is what makes me angry when people complain about being PC. Right? Oh, yeah. I, I, that that was something that I get sometimes, you know, the, the whole notion of being PC. Oh, you're being too PC. You're saying that you have to give content warnings or trigger warnings, but... I don't... You don't my, have to do any of My response things. to that was always like, the kind of people who tell me about being too PC are the kind of people who want to call me a spick to my face and smile about it. And that's vulgar, yeah. but that's exactly what it feels like. Yeah. They want to be able to have the right to say or do whatever they want to. 
I think that if you're going to see a movie like that, you should be warned. I should be able to know ahead of time that I'm walking into this. So that's why this happened. But maybe... Maybe he's with... not on a set right now. Yeah. <laughs> he well, got I'm... fired off of Bohemian Rhapsody and he's got nothing in production. And maybe it's time to just go, no, these people need to be held responsible for what they do. This has been going on since movies started. Yeah. And there are horrible stories going back to what happened to people like Shirley Temple. Yes. Uh, although she narrowly escaped it, but Judy Garland apparently did. Judy didn't. Garland didn't, yeah. Yeah, no. and you know they're giving this thirteen-year-old girl uppers to keep her longer hours. It, it's yeah. No, I had it, a discussion with a person in a film group uh, who's teaching right now uh, in the UCLA uh, film, and he talked about the new Call of the Wild film, and he said, "Yes, it looks ridiculous, but think about only a few years ago when dogs were being tied on trip wires and no, thrown into rivers." No, that's true. Milo and Otis went through like. Through, Several of each of them. Right. So just, just terrible. The notion that it used to be that animals were expendable. It used to be that actors were expendable. And if this discussion, and it offends people that it's PC, however, brings about a better, safer world, then yeah, I'm for I, the better, safer world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I love that the term social justice warrior is a slur. I'm like, who wouldn't want to be that thing? Right. <laughs> What? Think of all the good I'm social a warrior justice warriors. for social justice? That, How is that bad? That <laughs> like, puts me what? in the same class as Jesus Christ I'll and take it. Dr. King. There's not a bad social justice warrior. That's not a bad label. It's like Yeah, I, I legitimately right. am like, that's the phrase that you decided to just hurl at me as a, as a slur? Like... Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, right. <laughs> what I, was your? I don't understand which part of this is supposed to be bad. Yeah. So I don't. So yeah. So yeah. So we watched it. We watched it. We we escaped alive. Um, and hopefully, yeah. This this is probably my last viewing. I don't yeah. know how to get into. Even, watch Brad Renfro's other work. Watch right. the clients. Watch Ian McKellen's other work. Yeah. There's a lot of it. There's Watch a lot of it. So Joe much. Morton's other work. Yeah. All these actors did good things. Yeah. David Schwimmer, not so much. But he just needs more opportunities or maybe, I don't know. He's, you know what? David Schwimmer has directed some he directed, good stuff. Okay. He directed a movie, Since You Went Away, I think it's called. Okay. Which is about a high school reunion, which is one of my favorite goofy indie movies. Okay. See, because there you go. everyone in this film is so bonkers and he plays... He's in the film. That's not what it's called. What's it called? The only thing called to you since you went away is, was made in 1944. Okay. And unless since you've been wait, let me let me look this since up. Since you've been gone, I don't want to say that. No, I don't. Um, let me look this up really quick. I, I'm sorry. Earlier, when it sounded like I was, it's funny because I think David Schwimmer is one of my favorite friends' actors. Mm-hmm. Um. Or he was before he fucking decided to put his foot in his mouth a lot this last week. Mm. Uh, what did he say this last week? I don't want to get into it, but um, he his is my least favorite fucking friends character. Ross is the goddamn worst since you've been gone. Okay, yes. So I really enjoyed that movie. Um, Laura Flynn Boyle is hysterical in that She's film. She's good in everything. She plays. <laughs> A, like a psychopath 
uh, that everyone is terrified of. Yeah, that feels and right. And she has her own... I do feel like that bitch would cut me with just the sharp part of her body. She's she very has pointy. her own music, too, that every time she appears, so uh, while all these other characters are interacting, she occasionally just shows up. She, she plays Grace, and she's almost like a, a the, the killer monster in a horror movie. She has her own music cue, <laughs> and she does these really bizarre, sadistic things like putting tacks in, in uh, people's food. She... That's uh, a terrible thing to do. Right. And then <laughs> I was the not expecting you to She steals that. a baby uh, at one okay. point. And there's a moment this where she bitch. she steals a baby and she's standing outside. And I think John Stewart plays her her boyfriend. Okay. Or her boyfriend this, in high school. This is exactly mm-hmm. the right time for or that not, to be the not case. Not quite from high school, but at one point she has the baby and she's trying to figure out what to do with it now that she just kidnapped it and she looks around. And there's John Stewart, and there's some hobos burning a trash can, and oh, she's God. looking at that like, like do I put the baby in there? In no, there. I'm going to do this. And she hands the baby to John Stewart and tells them that it's their child, and this is his, and he has a breakdown and says, I'll do my best to be a better man and whatever. And she just walks off. So she plays this like irredeemably evil person who somehow finds true love. It's, the whole movie was very funny. Interesting. But, um, but yeah, no, I wish I could find it again because it really did. I was laughing at it. It's like it's, and oh, the, I bet we could find it. We'll talk, to, we'll talk to our remote and see what All it right. says. So, so next week, a, a film that's going to be a lot week easier we're to deal with. Cry. Next week, we're gonna, well, there are other issues with mm. this movie. Next week, we are watching The Green Mile, mm-hmm. a giant magical Negro. And I will cry. Ooh, and uh, yeah, because Doug Hutchins is in this, and he's another one. Um. Uh, yeah, but there's a performance in that film that, unfortunately, you know, we've lost Michael Clark Duncan. Yes. Who? Yeah. Uh, are Stephen King movies a curse? Well, here... <laughs> we've got a Miguel Ferrar down. Yeah. We've got a Brad Renfro down. Next week is Michael Clark Duncan. There, there is a. I remember when, when uh... starring in the '90s. There was an Academy Stephen Award King film, an Academy Award year that got to be really interesting because Haley Joel Osment, I think it was Michael Clark Duncan, and Michael Caine, among others, were in the same category. I believe that's how it went. And when Caine won it, he picked out those two as saying, oh, my God, both of you are amazing. Wow. Because you've just started. And he was like, from his Oscar speech, giving them... Like just oh, deeper. like I've been doing this for fifty-five right. years, and I, you gave me a run for your money. Like, you guys are right amazing. The, I want yeah. to see what you do in the future. And it's a pity that Haley Joel Osment didn't go much farther, and Michael Clark Duncan. Yeah, he's just, uh, had a shorter career. Kevin Smith stuff now. Right, but yeah, actually, he was just in a TV show I streamed and watched all of, but I can't think of which yeah. one it was. But yeah. Oh, the boys. The boys. The boys I on seen Amazon that one. Prime. Mm. You, uh, I don't think would enjoy no. it. So that is why you have not seen it. I have not forced it upon you. Uh, so next week, yes, the Green Mile. Uh, go check out some of uh, Brad Redfro, Ian McKellen, uh, Joe Morton, and Bruce Davison's other work, but not X Men. Bruce too. Davison, watch Willard. Okay. His performance is the boy who is all by himself and forms a sympathy with rats. All right, go watch Willard. Uh, Not the one with Brad Dorff, I guess. The other one. The two of us need look no more. (laughs) Okay. Well, 
You guys do that. Uh, if you if that goes well for you, <laughs> you should let us know. Uh, you that can email a, us. When I was a kid, that was like a, everyone was talking that movie with all the rats. So yeah, um, every time I see him now, it's like Willard. I thought his the rat's name was Ben. No, Ben was his chief rat, the the general of Willard's army. Right, Willard is the boy. Yeah, but Willard was a, just. So when this, you see a rat, you should say Ben. <laughs> Well, That's no, when we I saw, we wouldn't see a rat, when we saw him, we'd say Willard. Oh, gotcha. And you. it's really hard not to see him and go, Willard, like, Willard, you've, you've lived to a ripe old age now. I'm glad he's had a, a career. He's a very interesting actor, and he's had a very long career, so I'm, I'm happy for that. Let us know. Email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod. Uh, we are on Facebook, latecomerspodcast. Find us to us. We get the messages. Uh, I remind you to take your medicine. And we remind you better, better late than, than never. never.